Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Yeah, Father, we just give you thanks this morning, Lord. Jesus, we give you thanks this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne. You are on the throne, Lord. King Jesus, we give you thanks this morning and we worship you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for turning our hearts again to you, Lord. Jesus, you're so good. You're so gentle. You're so kind. But yet you're so full of authority and power and magnitude. We worship you, Lord. This morning, we choose to worship you. Jesus, we choose to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are. Mm. Thank you, Lord, that you are risen from the dead. You are risen from the dead. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for your, for your gospel message, Lord, the simplicity and the certainty of your gospel message, Lord. May it just fall in our hearts where it's, where it's become dimmed in our, in our lives, Lord. Sh- shine it, polish it. Lord, take away the patina of, of dirt and take away the distractions, Lord, and the disappointments. We just take them out in the name of Jesus. May we be fully given to you, Lord, fully polished to your service, Lord. May we be mirrors who reflect your goodness and your glory in every one of our surroundings, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Jesus, we thank, we thank you, Lord, that you are good. And Lord, that, that your goodness shines through us. You said you are the light of the world. And you said to us, you are the light of the world as well. <laughs> and so, Lord, may we, we reflect your light, Jesus. And so this morning, Lord, give us ears to hear what you're saying, Lord. Guide me as I speak. May I speak only what you want me to say, Lord. If that means deviating from my notes, Lord, I'll do that. If it means sticking to them, I'll do that too. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, hallelujah. I feel like I need to move forward again, actually. I kind of feel like, you know, I stand here, tomorrow morning I'll stand here in front of 160 kids in exactly the same place. Um, So I'm just going to move forward. Cool. You know, one aspect of being a teacher, one interesting aspect is that moment, and I know that some people here, Karen will know this moment, I know that, is that moment where you're walking on the street and all of a sudden you hear that kind of, hi, sir, and you, you turn around and you see somebody you haven't seen for probably 10 years and hopefully you recognize them because hopefully they haven't changed too much. I got it done in a petrol station in Woolworth Road a couple of years ago. One of my former students pulled up on a moped, helmet still on, and came up and said, Hi, sir, I'm, it's dark, it's winter, I can't see who he is because he's got a black visor on. Um, I eventually found out but that, and it was fine. I, I remembered him, so that was good. But there was another time many years ago when I, was, I took the role of the student and I was walking through Marlebone Station. I remember it very well. I was walking through Marlebone Sta- Station and as I walked, I just saw an old tutor of mine and he was quite difficult to miss because he was a big guy. He always dressed in black leathers, like motorcycle leathers, from head to foot, um, had a big white beard. And at the point I saw him, he was probably in his 70s. He'd probably retired, I think, by that point. And I said to him, I approached him and I, said, I told him who I was. And, and I said, how are you, Peter? And he said, I can't really say exactly what he said, but he said, I'm blind and I'm dying. 
I'm blind and I'm dying. And in a sense, Peter's words articulated the human condition without God with no hope and no future, just very sharply. You, most people don't, don't articulate it like that. But we have a hope and a future. Indeed, it is our future which gives us hope. So whatever way your present looks now, our future is glorious. Your personal future is glorious. Resurrected body, living with Jesus, is guaranteed to be glorious. So now, while we're walking with Jesus now, we need to take hold of what we will have then and bring some of it into our present reality. And that's what I think Jesus means when he says the kingdom of heaven is advancing forcefully and forceful men take hold of it. And it's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And all our future, all our hope, all our faith rests quite simply on one thing. And it's the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, all our faith could be called resurrection faith. And we need to sometimes remember that, you know. And, and uh, I was reminded this morning of a friend of mine. He, he, he grew up in Africa. His parents were missionaries there. And um, I think he went to quite a formal church there. And one day they asked him if he'd read, do the reading. And he crept into the church the night before. And he had, they had the big kind of old Bible on the lectern. And um, he poured Tolkien powder into the, into the crease of the Bible. And so when he stood up the next day to, to um, read, read the reading, he just went and blew on it. And there was this big cloud of what looked like dust coming off the Bible. He got into so much trouble for that. But... but, <laughs> but um, in a sense, you know, we need to dust off, you know, those basic kind of fundamental understandings um, that we have of, of the resurrection. And today, I guess, that's what I want to do. You know, last, last week, Pastor Rod spoke on the confidence that comes from having a sense of having a revelation of our righteousness. But how is it that we've been made righteous? It's through Jesus' death and resurrection, through his death for our sins and his for our sins and his resurrection. And so my main text this morning is going to be 1 Corinthians 15. Don't worry, it's a very long passage. I'm not going to read it all. But it opens with these words. And now let me remind you, brethren, of the gospel, the glad tidings of salvation which I proclaim to you, which you welcomed and accepted, and upon which your faith rests. So 1 Corinthians, you know, is a weighty letter, right, to a church that was born with a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, as, as Paul says. But it had now begun to drift and needed guidance and direction. And before this section, towards the end of the letter, Paul has talked about so much wisdom, church unity, relationships, communion, the love of God, the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, tongues, you name it. He's talked about a lot of stuff in this letter. And now he comes at this point of the letter and focuses on the very center of the Christian faith with this vital reminder of the foundation of their entire faith. The actual bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul's purpose in this section of the letter is to ensure that the whole church, every single person, knows with absolute conviction the reality of the resurrection. And as I was preparing this, it's interesting because part of me felt, surely we know all of this, right? Surely at CCF we really understand about the resurrection, right? And I think we all do, but as I prepared, I really felt that the Holy Spirit was telling me to, to carry on preparing this. 
And it was like it was like Holy Spirit was like saying, putting the resurrection underlined, highlighted in bold, in huge like. I don't know what point font that Hollywood sign is on the hills of Hollywood, but it's in that sort of font, you know. Holy Spirit saying, the resurrection is real, it's true. Jesus rose from the dead. And why do we need to know that? Because Jesus is calling each one of us higher. We need to be 100% certain of the resurrection, and not just as a kind of thing that happened way back then there, but as a daily reality in our lives. You know, daily reality. Think of, like David said today in worship, today, today, today. You know, today is the important thing. Think of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You know, as he approaches Bethany, Martha comes out to meet him. You might remember the conversation. Let's look at it a, a little bit. It starts at John eleven twenty one, and it says, Martha then said to Jesus, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So at this moment, with her brother dead, Martha looks at Jesus, looks back to the path, past and has, has faith that if he had been there, he could have done something in the past. You know, had he arrived on time, had he been there, he could have done something. And it's easy to have faith in our pasts, what Jesus has done in our past. Let's follow the conversation further. Even now, it says, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will grant it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, here Martha has faith in the future. I know he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. He will rise in the end. But Jesus wants her to change, to have faith in the present. And so Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, although he may die, yet shall he live. And like Martha, we need to have that same daily daily understanding of the power of Jesus over death central to our lives each day every situation is changed when we confront our reality with the greater reality of the resurrection and Jesus shows how much greater the reality of the resurrected body is when he appears to his disciples after his resurrection in the upper room Uh, do you remember he walks through the wall the, the doors locked so he just comes in anyway you know his body is totally real yet he's not limited by physical earthly reality. You know, because later on when he says to Thomas, you know, you can put your hand, you know, in my side, he, it's a to- his, his body is totally real, and yet not confined to physical reality in the way that our bodies are. And then he breathes on them, if you remember in that passage, the breath of God, giving them the Holy Spirit, saying, receive the Holy Spirit. And so when we face the problem in front of us, that situation or circumstance that looks like hopelessness, our resurrection faith is applied in Holy Spirit boldness and power. And I think we're being called as individuals, as a church, to move with such confidence in him that every single circumstance and situation becomes subservient to the message of Jesus. Every single one. More than that, it's only through the resurrection that people come to faith, that souls are one for Christ. And if you think about it, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Look through the book of Acts. Acts 2, 23 to 24. I'm not going to go there. Acts, Acts 2, 31. Acts 3, 13. Acts 4, 10. Acts 4, 40, 4 33. Acts 5, 30. Acts 10, 39 to 40. Acts 13, 28 to 37. Acts 17, 3 and 18. Acts 17, 31 and 32. Acts 23, 6. Acts 24, 21, Acts 25, 19, Acts 26, 8. Go through the whole book of Acts and 
you will find that every time the disciples are talking about Jesus, they're so often talking about the resurrection. You know, C.S. Lewis says, to preach, preaching, to preach Christianity meant to the apostles primarily to preach the resurrection. The resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in Acts. The resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or good news which the Christians brought. So our faith is faith that Jesus is, is risen from the dead. And every soul won for him is a resurrected life who's paid for by him. And so whenever we affirm the resurrection of Jesus, we give the Holy Spirit permission to move in power in our lives and in those around us to bring Jesus glory. I'm just going to go back through for those people who are, who are taking any notes about where those places are. So Acts 2, 23, 24 and 31. Acts 3.13, Acts 4.10, Acts 4.33, I think that's probably 4.31 actually, Acts 5.30, Acts 10.39-40, Acts 13.28-37, Acts 17.3 and 17.18 and 17.31-32, Acts 23.6, Acts 24.21, Acts 25.19, Acts 26, 8. As I was preparing this, I read through the whole book of Acts. And, you know, just not, not, not in huge detail, but I read it through and it just comes up again and again and again. And I really encourage you to do that. Go away and just go, because it just brings it back to it again and again. It says in Acts 4, 31, And with great strength and ability and power, the apostles delivered their testimony in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace rested richly upon them all. So, the gospel is clear. Jesus is risen. Let's return to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul starts the whole of the gospel, sorry, summarizes the whole of the gospel in beautiful simplicity in those two sentences in verse 3 and 4. He says this, For I passed on to you, first of all, what what also I had received, that Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for our sins in accordance with what the Scriptures foretold, that he was buried, that he arose on the third day, as the scriptures foretold. Paul here presents the gospel that he received. It wasn't fabricated or made up, he received it. And from the point he received it, Paul's life was spent passing that message on. It became his whole life. It defined every aspect of his life. So, further on in the book of Acts, in front of the Sanhedrin in Acts 23, Paul is quite, he, he's quite clever because he's got the Sadducees there, who don't believe in resurrection, the Pharisees who do. And so he calls out, it is, in, it is with regard to the resurrection of the dead that I am indicted and being judged. And that obviously causes a huge argument in, in the Sanhedrin. Um, so Paul has, you know, his whole life is stamped with the resurrection of the dead. And if you think about it, the further he went on his life journey, the more that he suffered the more important and urgent this reality of resurrection became to him. So here in Corinth, he says that he passes the message on first of all, that is, with a matter of urgency. So Paul writes, Christ died for our sins, first of all. He took the punishment of all our sins, we know this, from all humanity, throughout all time. He took our future future sins as well, and he became the sacrifice in our place. There was that exchange that he took what we deserved and we received what he deserved. The new life that stretches into eternity. 
And as Paul says, this isn't something that came out of nowhere. It was foretold throughout the scriptures. For example, in Isaiah 53, I'm not going to read the whole thing, you know, but you know, surely he, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know, we could all carry on with that sentence, I know. Our hope in the resurrection is anchored in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you know, throughout. And we can be sure of the resurrection because of what the scriptures said long before Jesus was born. You know, and if people say textual inaccuracy, it must have changed. Think about the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found the whole book of Isaiah. You know, they don't show it very much because it's difficult for Jews to read Isaiah 53 if they don't have messianic, you know, faith. <laughs> but they've got the, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they've got the whole book of, the whole scroll of Isaiah. And it dates from before Jesus or about the time of Jesus. Amazing. So, next it says he was buried. Imagine the shock. Think about Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus. They, they take down Jesus from the cross. They wrap him gently in cloths. They lay him in the tomb. Fully dead. You know, you know when somebody's dead. Imagine lifting his corpse. And I think of all the followers of Jesus at the time, these two influential men must have had one of the biggest shocks when he rose from the dead because they had wrapped his body, you know, and all of a sudden, there he was. They knew he was dead. They, they, they buried him. That was physical reality, but it was, also, it was not the end. And then it says, Paul says, he arose on the third day, and this was as much a physical reality as his, as his death and burial. And again, it was all told in Scripture previously, for example, Psalm 16 for you will not abandon me to Sheol, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your, in your presence there, are, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Paul moves on to the next aspect of proving the resurrection, that the testimony of eyewitnesses. He states that there were many people who, were with, who met Jesus after the resurrection, including at 500 at, at one time many of whom were still alive when Paul wrote the letter. 1 Corinthians was written somewhere in AD 53 to 54, so that's about two decades after Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter himself was still alive then. He, he died in about AD 63, so about 10 years after this, and Paul probably about the same time. So these people didn't just see or glimpse Jesus from a distance. They actually met him after his resurrection. And it seems that many in the Corinthian church had moved away from the message of the resurrection and had gradually made what was, foundation of, what was the foundation of their faith something which was peripheral to it. And this is how the enemy works in people's lives. Make no mistake. You know, initially, by gradually m- making what's important seem less important through distraction, through misleading, emphasizing marginal things, and then bringing into question the reality of the resurrection. Paul refused two such falsehoods in this passage. First, there were those who were saying there was no resurrection. Paul refutes the nonsense of this and demonstrates how it undermines the whole of the gospel message. If Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is mere delusion and you are still in your sins. We cannot be raised if Christ is not risen. Paul points out that without the resurrection, Christianity is completely irrelevant and a whole waste of time. He says, you know, we're to be pitied more than all people. The resurrection is the only thing that brings new life. There can be no your kingdom come if the kingdom was never established. So second was this notion 
that the Greek kind of thinking had of the physical, the physical body and its temporal nature being somehow dis- disconnected from the spiritual body. And this idea that we have physical body, but there's this kind of separate thing which is spirit, and it's completely separate, a kind of dualism. And in Greek thought, this dualism existed and obviously didn't have any... They, they had no kind of concept of resurrection or life after death. But the, the, this idea that the body and the spirit were separate was a, was a really big thing. And, and it actually exists in our, in our culture too, because we lo- we've inherited lots of green, Greek thinking. It's partly from this Greek thinking that we have the idea of the material world being sure and certain and solid, while everything else is less provable, less tangible, and therefore less real. And, and people accept it and kind, of, and, and kind of think about it like, I'm sure everyone here has talked to somebody about their faith and they'll say something like, I'm quite spiritual. And what do they really mean by that? It's something kind of not really tangible, quite ethereal. I always think it's like, you know, you like a cup of coffee on a nice brown leather sofa, kind of thinking about the world in some way. It's like, it's... it's ethereal and not really tangible, that sort of spirituality. But the gospel spirituality is totally tangible. For some Corinthian believers, their thinking had obviously become twisted and it had become hard to conceive how the resurrection could be really real and physical. But Paul uses this amazing metaphor of a seed which grows into a plant to demonstrate the t- how the temporal physical state that we have here on this, in this world can give birth to a permanent reality. And it's an amazing analogy because the dying seed in this world is different from the plant that grows in the next. So verse 42 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable and decays, but the body that is, res- that is resurrected is imperishable, immune, immune to decay, immortal. So, so this is in 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So I'll read it again. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable and decays, but the body that is resurrected is imperishable, immune to decay, and immortal. So our fragile bodies decay. We know that. And one day all of us will, our, our, our current bodies will cease to exist and we'll be born into new bodies. Amen, eh? <laughs> um, let's think about Monday last week, you know, because the, re- the reality of the resurrection life was pronounced over our nation and over our world in a way which has never actually ever been done before. There's no time in history when that was, that's ever been done. Tina was there, weren't you, Tina? Yeah? Cool. So good. Tina was hand-picked to be there. You know, it's like God knew what, who he wanted in the Abbey. I, one of the parents from school was there as well because she also got an MBE. And she said, I don't know what Tina would say, but she said it was like so many people in, of those people who were picked to be there had living faith and were really just there. It was like the Lord knew what was going to happen and hand-picked them in advance to be in that place at that time to pray in that extraordinary move of God that happened on that service, in that service on Monday. In the midst of everything, somehow, the Queen managed to bring everything back to the resurrection of Jesus. Think about it. There was all the business of the state. I mean, I was sent the order of service. Thank you very much, Abby. Um, 
22 pages of order of service. You know, all the, all the people's names written there, you know, the, the, the leaders who were there from the different churches and different places and different religions. All the pomp and the circumstance, all the world leaders, all the rigmarole of the occasion, the colours, uniforms, the formality, the procession, and right there at the very centre, it all converged on the resurrection of Jesus. How amazing is that? It was like the Queen's last function was her greatest. I think of Samson, you know, at the end of his life, you know, and it's like she had this Samson-like thing where what she did at that, that funeral after she died with four billion people watching, this humble five-foot-one tall woman, five-foot-one, you know, so small, so little, who had just gone to be with Jesus at the age of 96, she pushed the pillars of secularism and the pillar of atheism and brought down the temple of unbelief in this nation. And she opened the doors of the reality and hope of the resurrection to many people watching. Thank you, Jesus. And Baroness Scotland, in that first reading, which was from 1 Corinthians 15, that itself became like a sermon to half of the world. I mean, think about it, half of the world. This is the passage she read. I'm going to read it. Now, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. This is from, I'm not exactly sure which verse this is actually, Gosha, sorry. And, and it's in a different translation as well, right? <laughs> now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are, that, are, that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye, ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How the Lord used Monday. Think about it. In this nation, in an hour, this nation heard more gospel truth than probably the previous 30 years. In one hour. And the thing is, the editors couldn't, they couldn't cut it out. They couldn't turn it off. They had to show it. They had to show it. Every part of it. And it's interesting because it's opened up a much wider acknowledgement of the Queen's faith in Jesus than that ever has been, which has permeated also how people look at themselves, how people themselves have grieved. Philippa and I went to um, Hyde Park last Sunday after church um, with my sister and, and my nephew. And there was a sense of sadness, but there was also 
a sense of, of kind of peace and something more. There are thousands of messages relating to heaven and life after death. My favorite one from somebody who evidently isn't all together in the note, which, which was from a child, and it said, good luck in heaven. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. So the queen brought this, this sense of new life to the nation. So her, her faith was, was really real, and it was, present, it was more present, in a sense, in her death as throughout her extraordinary life of service. She ran her race for Christ fully, and her death demonstrated her faith in a massively powerful way. And she, didn't even, she wasn't even meant to be queen. Do you know that? Edward VIII abdicated. It was only because her dad became king that she became queen. Amazing. God's choice. And so that's opened up in our nation this considering of eternity, an openness that people haven't vocalized before. It's like there's been a door opened into our nation. It's a shared experience, and because it's a shared experience of Queen's death, we have the opportunity to demonstrate our complete faith in the resurrection of Jesus. I was talking to Nate about this yesterday, and he said, it's as if the Holy Spirit is saying there's a big green light for go in talking with others you know, in the workplace, in the street, wherever, wherever we come upon people, there's a green light for go in talking about faith and, and, and pronouncing people's destiny and purpose over them. The understanding of Christian faith in our nation over the last however long, probably since the Queen was on the throne, has, has been on the decline, had been on the decline for many years. And so we're going to encounter people who just don't understand perhaps what resurrection faith actually is. And that's how we have to articulate and, and show and demonstrate. You know, the Corinth church wasn't, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Go to the book of Acts and read, read that two passages that when Paul goes to Athens... And then he goes to Corinth. And he gives this amazing kind of articulate apologetic for God in Athens and hasn't really got very, it doesn't really land. And then he goes to Corinth and he, and he says, I came to you not, you know, not with wise and eloquent words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You know? So we need to remember that when we go out. It's not only wise and eloquent words, but it's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so the Lord is saying, you know, go for it. Go for it. You know. So people might t- say, oh, how can something from 2,000 years ago hold any real significance for us now? And Paul tackles this question, actually, in 1 Corinthians 15 as well, when he talks of the first Adam who came from earth compared with the last Adam, Christ, who came from heaven. And in some way, every person gets to choose whether we limit ourselves to the dust of unbelief, the dust of Adam, which confines in death, or whether we bear the image of the one from heaven, who is Jesus, you know, who's the last Adam. So that's, that's, we, we can encourage people to, to look forward and look up, rather than look at death and the end. He points out in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we, we will be dead. You know, everybody around us who doesn't know Jesus... All they have is fatalism and death, ultimately. They might be hoping on temporal things, but they're not going to last. The Queen's death opened up a new season for us of spiritual openness. And part of this happened partly because I think, like, because she lived for so long, she reigned for like 70 years, 94% of the world's population have only ever known the Queen on the throne. 
You know, that's a crazy stat, isn't it? Like 94% of the population have been born since the Queen became monarch. And it's interesting, isn't it? There are queens and kings in other places, you know, but n nobody even knows their name. You know, queen such and such from the Netherlands. I don't know. I can't remember her name. Uh, king such and such from Norway. Don't know his name either. Um, but, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because she was the queen. She was the queen, you know. And everybody kind of somehow knew, knew about her. And so it was really odd because at her death, she was 96 years old, and yet everybody was slightly, found it slightly unexpected or disconcerting. It opened up a kind of vulnerability in our nation to something which was, which was uh, something that they'd psychologically known as a foundation somehow had gone. But that's such an, an amazing thing for us too because it's a great contrast to our hope in King Jesus because he conquered death. He is the eternal king forever. He never changes. His word doesn't change. He's still on the throne. And this is how Paul can write that last verse of 1 Corinthians 15 which reminds us of our absolute conviction that we must have. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be firm, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord always being superior, excelling, doing more than enough in the service of the Lord, knowing and being continually aware that your labor in the Lord is not futile, is never wasted or to no purpose. You know, we may be in situations that look permanent, but no situation is permanent apart from Jesus being on the throne, right? No, no situation down here. You know, I come here a few days a week, becomes habitual, Likewise, many of us go to other workplaces. It becomes habitual. And we think it's never going to end, you know, in our minds. And, and I think that's a real challenge to us because on the surface, one day looks like, looks like the next day, which looks like the, day, you know, the next day and the next day and the next day. But what we have to do is, I think, listen to the Holy Spirit's voice to us and grab hold of our resurrection faith in the moment every single day. You know, that quiet voice. That encouraging those little interactions, those little conversations. You know, remember Smith Wigglesworth's words when he was asked, how is it you've seen so much? I mean, that guy, you know, you know the stories. You know, a guy being, being told, go to the shoe shop who had no legs, goes to the shoe shop. He says, you know, the guy looks at him and says, he says, can I have a pair of shoes? And he says, what, what size shoes would you like? He's got no legs. And so he chooses his size shoes, and by the time the guy comes back, his legs have grown out. Now, that's some, something kind of crazy, eh? Um, but Smith Wigglesworth was asked towards the end of his life, like, what is it? And he said, at the slightest whisper of the Holy Spirit, I turn aside. How good is that? You know? So we need to listen to that quiet voice, live in the moment, live in each moment, the today, the daily reality of Jesus, encouraging those who are around us to do the same. Speaking into people's lives, the perspective of Jesus on them and their situation. You know, they, know, they don't even know Jesus, but they, they can begin to know him through us speaking into their lives. And this isn't out of duty or obligation, but because it's a natural response of knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. You know, one day we will come to fully know what we currently only know in part. 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 50 to 51. Take notice, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all fall asleep, but we shall all be changed. 
In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet call, for a, for a trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, free and immune from decay, and we shall be changed. Amen. As we come to the end of this talk, I think it would be good to pray for the nation. And I'd like to also agree in prayer for, for each of us as well. Um, I wonder, Tino, if you wanted to pray for Julie right now. We can, re- we, we can pray for Julie right now, certainly. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Mm. Yes, Father, we thank you, Lord. If you want to get on your knees, you can get on, we can get on our knees. It's a good place to be in front of Jesus. Yeah. Mm. Yes, Father, we give you thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are on the throne. You are on the throne, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you, that you are Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you that your, that your love and your truth are clearing those birds out of our nation. Mm. And we say thank you, Lord, that, that, that you, we, we, we just, it says in your word, Lord, that anything, that when we come together as two or three, and there are more than two or three here this morning, Lord, but when we come together as two or three, Lord, you give us the authority to bind and to loose. And so, Lord, we bind those birds in our nation in the name of Jesus. Yes, we bind every single one of these birds in our nation. And we say, you have no place in our nation. You have no place in our nation. Get out of this nation. In the name of Jesus, go to the pit. In the name of Jesus. This nation, this nation is set apart for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that that was shown. That was shown not only in the Queen's funeral, but in the way that King Charles took the throne as well, Lord. That he promised to be defender of the faith. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are, you are the king of this nation, actually, ultimately, Lord. You are in control. You are on the throne. You are on the throne. And so we bind all these birds in the name of Jesus, and we say, get out. And we, and we just say, may your Holy Spirit and your angels be loosed upon this nation and across this nation, Lord. We thank you for the open door that the, queen, um, the Queen's funeral has brought to this nation, her death and her funeral, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you, you've brought a massive open door throughout this nation and actually throughout this world as well. And we thank you, Lord, that, that you are on the move. You are on the move, Lord. And what looks like a cloud about the size of a man's hand is much, much more, Lord, because your reign is coming upon this nation. We thank you, Lord, that your reign is coming. We thank you, Lord, that your reign is coming. And Lord, those people who, there were many prophets who talked about the roaring 20s and then because of COVID and this and that and the other, everyone was like, ah, oh, uh, whatever, you know, etc. But Lord, those prophets were right because you were softening the ground. You were softening the ground and you have softened the ground, Lord. And Lord, now the ground is soft, Lord. Your seed can go forth and can be spread and can, and can take root and can multiply. 
And Lord, we thank you that you are doing that across this nation, Lord. That you are raising oaks of righteousness across this nation, Lord. We thank you that your word is being preached in churches up and down this nation, even this morning, Lord. Even this afternoon, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that, yes, with the... With the um, immigrants who came bringing bringing falsehood lord there were also people who came bringing your truth lord and we give you thanks and honor for that lord we honor them lord jesus for coming to our nation lord for such a time as this lord jesus and we thank you that you move people around the globe according to what you want lord and you move many people here because you want them to hear the word of the lord in this nation and to go back to their nations and and to and, and to um tell of your gospel your goodness and your power in their nations Lord and so Lord we, we pray release of your word upon the upon the people of this city and this nation Lord the people who came here one way or another Lord the people who are native to here as well but particularly Lord those people who have come Lord looking for something that they haven't got in their own nation Lord because you are going to move across this whole world Lord and and, 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 it's, and much of it is going to begin in this great city here in London Lord and we give you thanks and praise and worship you for that Lord Jesus because you are good and your love endures forever we call the nations to Commonwealth Church Lord Jesus we call the nations to Commonwealth Church and we say thank you in advance Lord Jesus for those whom you are going to bring Lord Jesus that you are going to bring people from every tribe tongue and nation Lord even to this church Lord because you have said is, is not my house a house for, of prayer for all nations and so Lord we thank you for that Lord and we give you praise for that In the mighty name of Jesus, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus. And Father, now I just want to pray for boldness for each of us, Lord Jesus. That we would strengthen, that you would strengthen our feeble hands and tottering knees, Lord Jesus. That you would give us words in our mouths, in our heads and our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray for our for our eyes to be open, Lord, to who you are. Lord, for our ears to hear what you're saying, Lord Jesus, for our mouths to speak it and our hands to demonstrate it. Lord, Father, I pray that where we feel weak, Lord, we know that weakness brings your strength. And we thank you, Lord, that that where you bring your strength, Lord, nothing can stand against you, Jesus. Nothing does stand against you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that each of us is covered in the blood of Jesus, Lord. We're each stamped with the name of Jesus, Lord. And we thank you that 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 is something that nobody can take away. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, even those here, those who aren't here, those who have been at CCF in the past and are not here at the moment, Lord Jesus. We call some of those back in the name of Jesus. We, we, we say, come back in the name of Jesus. We say, come back in the name of Jesus. We command you, come back in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for those, for those who aren't here just because they couldn't make it today. They're at work or they're doing other stuff, Lord. We thank you for each person who, who, who are there. Who, Lord, who, and Lord, we, we pray your boldness, Lord. Your, your words in their mouths, Lord Jesus. Lord, in every situation, circumstances, they find themselves. And Father, last of all, Lord, we lift before you our pastors, Lord. And Father, we lift before you Pastor Rod and we thank you for him. We thank you, Lord, for strengthening him, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for giving him new life, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for giving him new revelation, fresh revelation, deeper revelation, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've been growing in him during this last season, Lord. And Lord, we, we, we declare that where the enemy intended good, 
for harm, Lord. You are bringing good. You are bringing good. And Lord, we thank you for the mother of this house, Pastor Julie, Lord Jesus. And, and we thank you for her full recovery, Lord Jesus. We thank you for moving in power in her mind. We thank you for moving in power in her physical brain and in her whole being, Lord Jesus. We give you thanks, Lord, that you are that you are bringing her to full health, Lord Jesus. Of that, I am absolutely certain that she is going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that she is going to be fully restored, fully made new. And so, Lord, we speak to Julie. We speak to Julie's spirit and we just say, arise and walk in the name of Jesus. Arise and walk in the name of Jesus. Arise and walk in Jesus' name. And we just give you thanks for them, Lord Jesus. We love them. We honour them. We, wor- we, we worship you that you would bring us such, such a couple as this to lead us, Lord Jesus. And we pray all wisdom and power and honour to them, Lord Jesus, that they would reflect you and reflect your glory. And Lord, before they finish their ministry, Lord, that they would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living in a new and fresh way, Lord Jesus, that you would grow this fellowship Lord Jesus even while they're still with us Lord Jesus that we will see the turning point we give you thanks in Jesus name thank you Jesus all honour and glory and dominion and power be yours it all belongs to you it all belongs to you now it all belongs to you every day into eternity Lord Jesus we just give you thanks Amen 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 We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 